Have we picked Potty out a theme song? Pay, uh, we haven't picked out a theme song, but we've we picked out a name. Very inventive name. Um, it's the Fight Site Patreon podcast. That is very creative. I'm impressed. So, so yeah, we are going to talk about something. I just want to quickly say more perks to the patrons and uh, patrons, as Ed likes to call them, um, because that's what they're called. The Patreons. And the, the Patreons. And, uh, yeah, so, like, to anyone listening uh, that knows us, you don't need an introduction. But this first episode should be going out on YouTube. Um, and basically, if you like this episode, any further episode is going to be behind the $3 paywall. Um, it's not like you only get this for $3, though. You get lots of other cool shit as well. Ryan, do you want to tell the guys the other cool shit they get? So I don't remember the exact tiers, but we have custom articles, video content. If you have a favorite fighter that you haven't seen anybody break down in a way that you'd like, submit the $20 Patreon tier and we will go over that, write an in-depth article or a video breakdown on him. We have personal scouting, um, and for the $5 tier, you get access to the Fight Site Discord, where we have a bunch of like-minded folks who love talking about combat sports analysis, uh, among lots of other stuff. But for the $3 tier alone, you get Ed's resume review, where he goes over multiple fights from a fighter's career, rates them, ranks them, um, goes over what they're doing technically in the cage. Uh, you're getting a new series, which uh, is caught on quite quickly, which is our immediate post-fight uh, commentary uh, where we, we comment out on the fight live and drop it straight after. Um, and you're going to get this podcast. Basically, Ryan and I like to go off on tangents and just talk all kinds of crap. So we thought rather than having like a focused uh, podcast like where we talk about the weekly events, we'll talk about... Uh, it's, it's an M- MMA-centric podcast, but Ryan and I are fans of all sorts of combat sports, so tangents are to be expected. But... Um, it's going to be MMA, MMA history, MMA technique, things we like from today, all kinds of stuff. And the first episode, Brian? So we're going to be talking about BJ Penn today. This is, in some respect, a response to the podcast that Shuram and Danny did about BJ Penn. I haven't watched that myself, but Kyle did, and he had some problems with it. So as you were the one who watched that and had some thoughts about it, why don't you go over exactly how Shuram and Danny massively fucked that up? They didn't massively fuck it up. I just, you know, both you and I have disagree with their opinions to a certain extent you know sort well, of well they're uh, not here so we don't have to be nice to them we don't have to it's also on patreon i mean this first one will be on youtube i'm gonna be nice to them anyway because you know, generally you know i can't really disagree with their reads i just um you know they were relatively nuanced and and what have you but i just disagree with where they're coming from in terms of their evaluation of bj penn's uh skill set and, and and competition i mean the point i want to get across is and and ryan i want to circle back to something you said on our uh, Habib Namagamadoff uh, goat legacy resume ranking kind of thing. You said in order to be in the upper upper echelon of pound for pound greats, you need to see a fighter in with someone who will truly test them to their limit. Yes. But I'm not arguing that BJ Penn should be in the top five of all time. I'm merely arguing that he should be recognised as an all time great. And it seems that a lot of the fan base, and this is not just Danny and Shram, uh, actually, let's, let's let's not splinter the fan base. Let, let, let's talk Turkey. Half of the fan base says anyone who doesn't realise that BJ Penn is one of the all-time greats, like greatest ever, must not have been there. And the other half says, well, would he really been that good nowadays? And, you know, that matters. It, and we need to come somewhere down in the middle on this. And the fact matter is, when you actually do assess BJ Penn's career and you actually assess him on a fight-by-fight basis... 
he actually did do a lot of things really, really well. Um, and his, his opponents often did things quite well also. So, and there's also crossover with opponents that he fought that later fought, um, took on fighters that we would consider uh, more. What's the word? Uh, that would fit more into the kind of modern MMA meta that we deem so important. Yeah, that were more suited to the modern metagame. Yeah, so if BJ Penn beat those guys in a more impressive fashion or as impressive fashion, how far behind the times was he really? That's the kind of little uh, the little hole that I want to... little rabbit hole I want to dive down into today. Uh, and obviously I've seen pretty much all BJ Penn's fights, some of them more than once. And... Um, I feel there's certain criticisms that are leveled at him that are a tad unfair, and I want to sort of get into those today. Like, so for example, just to you know, this is going to be a tangent, tangential chat as always with you and I, Ryan. But but Ed is uh, reviewing BJ's early fights at the moment, and uh, kind of said, well, you know, he didn't. Uh, neither he or Pulver looked particularly good, and uh, I want to get that was the point like across. Fourth yeah, fight in MMA, fourth, right? And like. The, the the Kauno and the and the Pulver fights, he's fighting guys that have got fifteen fights more experience than him. And however you see those opponents, that that's not nor that's not normal really. That's not normal in any kind of traditional sense. And Pulver, I would say with Jens Pulver, like he gets really lot sort of unfairly looked at today. But he's sort of like I was I was watching him the other day and I thought he's not the prototypical like wrestle boxer. But he is very much like a wrestle brawler, and you know, like he he did some things quite well. And you, if he was a useless fighter in terms of the era has changed so much, so drastically that Pulver was only good in his own era, then he would not have continued to to look decent for years after. He certainly wouldn't have uh, beaten Cub Swanson years later, a nascent Cub Swanson. But you know, if if the errors were that clearly defined in terms of you know, like kind of like a BCAD kind of thing, then, and it's the same as in boxing. It's the same as in boxing. You, you look at these really old timers and say, well, they're nothing compared to the fighters we know today. And yet they fight for so long, they, they managed to compete against the fighters of the so called next generation. And, you know, I think if, if they were that bad, if they were that bad, they would get blown out by them. But that's going right back into BJ Penn's early career. You know, you and I, Ryan, both sort of say, you know, the early stuff and the really late stuff, that isn't really that important to a fighter's legacy, is it? Right. Yeah. I. Any Anything that's clearly past prime where they were shot, I wouldn't really count at all. Like, I don't care about Silva losing to Jared Cannonier or whatever the fuck. Um, and I don't care about their early prospect losses. Although with Panic, it's a little bit more murky because a lot of the really good work he did was early in his career. Uh, he was pretty much elite, like right away within a year of starting MMA. And a lot of his early work is pretty important, I think, especially the the Gomi fight. He beat Gomi when he was like two years into his career, and Gomi was already well into his career. I think he was he'd already beaten guys like Chris Brennan, um, Dokun Janosuke, Mishima, who were not like Rumina Sato, who were not gr- modern greats in any way, but they were very good, respectable talents and some of the best at that weight in their time. And he just fought Hellboy Hansen as well, so like you know. If you know, if Gomi really did suck, then and we know for a fact that Gomi even shot past his prime was able to compete on some level 
once he finally got over to the UFC. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. It's not like, and I want to make a, a kind of, again, tangent again, but I don't want to be all pro BJ Penn because for some of BJ Penn's best lightweight days, and because he's such a weird fighter in terms of the weight hopping and that, you know, it's hard to really pin that down. But let's say his title reign, a lot of the best lightweights weren't actually in the UFC. Right. They're, they're either in, uh, it was either Pride Days or offshoots of Pride, like Dream and stuff like that. And, you know, you had really, really top fighters over there. Shinyoki, Eddie Alvarez, obviously Hellboy Hansen, and, and then, you know, Gomi was in Pride, and there was Kawajiri was over there. And there were so many good fighters in that sort of 155 to 165 range or 160 range that BJ Penn never actually fought. So I don't want to act like, oh, well, actually, yeah, BJ Penn conquered, conquered you know, the, the deepest lightweight class ever because. He really didn't. Right. And his actual lightweight title reign wasn't, I think, that valuable. When I'm looking at BJ's legacy, I don't really care too much about him winning the belt off. Um, who did he he win? the? That was Stevenson, right? And then he defended yeah, it against Florian and Sean, Diego. Sh- yeah, Sean. And Shirk. And Sean Shirk was a, a genuinely was a good win. Yeah. And Shirk was, again, like nowadays everyone laughs at him. Yeah. But, you know, like he was a, was a really uh, strong wrestler. He was a strong wrestler. There's no detracting from that. His actual top game was actually pretty damn good. Like, you know, he was really good at passing. And if you watch the, for, for like a really fun fight, the, the, Fra- the Hermes Franco fight, um, you know, he obviously ended up being a, a disgusting sex criminal. But that's actually a really fun, scrambly fight. And, uh, you know, you can't shirk. He'd had like 30 odd professional fights. He'd only lost twice. He only ever two- lost to legitimate elites and welterweights, elite welterweights. Yeah. Matt Hughes and GSP were the only and people. He took lost Matt it. Hughes down and won a round or two off him in their fight as well. So, so Shirk was a legitimately good fight. He, he had blisteringly fast hands as well. Like that's not something that that transcends an era. That's a really good uh, opponent and um, and BJ, but you know, beat the shit out of him essentially. So, like that's a good win. I wanna... Shirk's not somebody that strikes me as like being an anachronism. Like if he. He's not, he wouldn't be, I don't think, elite in the modern game if you just took him out and transplanted him. But he's absolutely somebody that had a, like a style that would survive in the modern era. He was a good wrestle boxer. He set up his takedowns with his punch as well. He had, he did a good job like working in complex boxing combinations. Like he wasn't that stupid rote wrestle robot on the feet. He yep. could box pretty well. Uh, his wrestling was genuinely very good. He had a dangerous top game. And BJ beating him the way he did was genuinely very impressive. With BJ's legacy, it's not so much the, the work he did at welterweight, but the, the weight issue that you brought up. He was, he was fighting well above his weight class, and I always give that quite a bit of recognition uh, when I'm talking about people's legacies. This is coming from somebody who watches a lot of Muay Thai, where the weight hopping is a big thing, where you, you can't just evaluate uh, like how good they were in a certain division. It's Could they fight up? Um, you, you heard... Um, like. People have been recently talking about Samart and Samart versus Dizenloy and how much Dizenloy fought up, whereas Samart was fighting a lot of uh, like around 125 pound guys and wasn't as successful up in weight. So that's always an important consideration. And BJ, he was not a lightweight. Even lightweights have grown a lot, and a lightweight back then would not be a lightweight nowadays. But Penn wasn't even big for his time. He could have always made featherweight. He was fighting at lightweight and welterweight largely because those were the only weights available in the UFC. And back then, there wasn't a lot of avenue for the littler guys to get um, to get recognition or prestige. And because probably because he was 
kind of a lazy fuck and didn't want to cut the weight. But he was a featherweight. He could have, genuinely could have made bantamweight fighting at welterweight and lightweight. And I don't think he has an argument for winning the first St. Pierre fight, but taking a round off him and being so competitive with him, even an early St. Pierre, as somebody who's fucking tiny, is genuinely crazy. Beating Matt Hughes, I don't rate Matt Hughes as a lot of, as high as a lot of the people, uh, as a lot of historians. But BJ, especially the way he did it, out grappling him, taking him down, um, yeah. pounding him, and choking him out, was incredibly impressive. And the Machida fight. Like yeah, I want to get, I want to, I want to get to that. I mean, I mean, not even that open weight. So, yeah. like, Machida like, had already like knocked out Rich Franklin at that point. Do you know what I mean? Like, he wasn't yeah. like just some random prospect. And I really want to get into that because it pertains. That was fucking to four which, years into BJ's career too. It's something which Danny and Shram. To be fair, from. it was an early um, Machida, but still. Of course, of course, but Danny Shram said, you know, BJ Penn never tried hard in a fight he was going to lose. Now, if you watch that Machida fight, BJ is swinging. Like, he is literally, he looks like, um, in that fight, he looks like Fedor Emelianenko with a tan. You know what I mean? Like, he is, he is, he is fighting like Fedor with these wild, wild hooks. He is fighting his way off the ropes, out of the clinch. And we know for a fact that Machida had a really tricky trips, um, tripping style um, and you know, like I think Machida at the point was doing like, like sumo and, and Shotokan karate. Do you know what I mean, like, he's a really awkward yeah. stylist. We know for a fact that he was really. There was a time, Ryan. You, you're not that old, but you remember that for a while, people wondered whether Machida was ever going to be beaten in the UFC. Like oh, he yeah. was so tricky. The Machida and, era. Yeah, and, and BJ swinging with him, absolutely swinging with him, and, and landing some good shots. And actually, like, doing some good work all the way to the end of that fight and not being dissuaded. Um, and something else was really interesting, actually, like, checking kicks, which is another big criticism of BJ, that he, like, he had, like, no kicking game. He did have no kicking game. He generally, like, did a Diaz brothers, like, no sell on the kicks. But he did actually know how to defend kicks. He did try to defend kicks some of the, when he needed to. And against Machida, he does. And we, He was go competitive to, with him in the clinch, too. Yeah, I mean, and he also um, he fought um, uh, two Gracies as well because this was like his K1 Heroes kind of phase where he yeah. fuck left the UFC. So he beat Dwayne Ludwig at welterweight, but Ludwig was actually like the lineal UFC champion because he knocked out Jens Pulver and he just sliced for him like butter, nice and easy, just like he did with Gomi, really. Um, you know, was, Ludwig was a pretty pretty decent fighter. Well, you know, what nothing, no great shakes, but you know, he was a good fighter. Um, and then he fought uh, Hojigo Gracie, who just he was undefeated and like he wasn't that good, but I think he was a I think he was ADCC gold medalist as well. So he was a good grappler, and BJ like dominated him the whole fight. And there's a much bigger guy. He just beaten. Wasn't that right um, after he beat Hayato Sakurai too? He just beaten Maha Sakurai. So you know what I mean? Like he wasn't some Gracie who never had a fight. And BJ like like sunned him basically. Like he was clearly the naturally smaller guy. He was like a chubby BJ. And just like made him do that Gracie thing where they just flopped to their back constantly and don't want to engage because BJ just beat him up really like and just just dominated him wherever the fight went. So like again like the names don't stand out, but these kind of pound for pound achievements I like to call them are, are, are quite like you said like that's quite an important thing and 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 shows that shows natural talent and and skill set to me like being able to just do your thing regardless of the opponent. And obviously it was the freak show era of MMA so to speak, but um. You know, 
that that's not like some random pride actually bj was made for pride he really should have went to pride that's a one big thing that i don't know why he went to k1 i know heroes paid him an exorbitant amount of money to fight um there so k1 paid him a lot of money but really should have went to pride but then he went back to ufc and obviously loses to hughes and you know eventually goes down the lightweight the opponent i want to bring up at lightweight that i find quite interesting and i want to stress this isn't mma math um again i'm not trying to argue that bj penn's in that hallowed ground are sort of top five right but kenny florin was a really competent fighter like he was good on the feet he um he, he, he had he wasn't like a dangerous striker but he was really he's quite competent and kind of like MMA Muay Thai, so to speak. Good clinch. Um, and obviously, pretty dangerous submission artist as well. On a good run. And I think if you compare... Again, in that fight, Florin does a lot of good things. He, he, he keeps BJ against the cage for quite prolonged periods and frustrates him and does some decent work. And yet BJ comes back, fourth round, batters him, takes him down, just cuts through him like a hot knife through butter... And I think I, I might be wrong, but I think he's the only person to ever tap Kenny Florian. And if you look at right. that, uh, if you look at that Ken flow and look at the Ken flow to fought Jose Aldo, there's no difference between the fighters. And yet I would argue that BJ Penn did a better job on Florian. Actually, Aldo had some of the same issues with Florian, like in open space, less so, obviously, but he was still pressured up against the cage. As a matter of fact, Florin actually hit a really active double on Aldo. Now, as we know, it didn't do anything because he just springs straight back up. And But that's quite impressive for me. It shows that Florin was a good fighter. I think Florin actually fought better against Aldo than some of his other uh, challenges did. And yet BJ beat him more impressively. And again, this is not me trying to say, Ryan, and you'll get where I'm coming from. I'm not trying to say, well, obviously, BJ Penn's as good as Jose Aldo. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is if he can beat an opponent more impressively than Aldo, Surely that shows he's not some archaic remnant of a lost, uh, long lost era that was uh, full of, uh, you know, uh, pioneers and and sort of relics. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I definitely agree about Florian being an impressive win. He's another one of those guys that only really lost to elites. Uh, like I think the worst guy he ever lost to, aside from pre-prime losses, was like Gray Maynard, who was a genuinely yeah. great lightweight for his time. Um, Absolutely. Florian was one of those, like, the, the typical best fighter to never win a fighter before there were, like, really, really good fighters to not win titles. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't necessarily myself read too much into the method of victory there, just because I think the style of fighter that Penn and Aldo were, that Aldo, if he's comfortable, is never going to push to get you out of there. But with BJ, and because he's such a defensive fighter, that even if you have somebody like Ken Flo that was aggressive and coming at him, that he can defuse that without being super damaging himself. But with BJ, when you when he had a guy coming at him and trying to push him like Florian was, he's either going to destroy them or he's going to kind of wilt as the fight goes on, rather than having like a commanding but not super damaging performance. So I think that was more to do with the styles of fighter they are. But I definitely agree that Kenny Florian was an impressive win for BJ. I mean, in terms of the whole Wilton thing, like, is there is there many instances in his prime where he wilted? Like, I know he shut down. I mean, he did actually try in like the last round against Pulver, but generally he just got wrestle fucked by by Pulver and kind of outworked. Actually, in that first Pulver fight, BJ Penn actually wins. He taps Pulver to an armbar as the klaxon goes, 
and they say, oh, it's already gone, and, you know, Pulford just shakes it off and says, no, it won't happen. But he clearly, and the, the corner says, he fucking tapped, man. He says, he fucking tapped. And he did, like BJ, with his back against the cage, like, just straightens his arm out, taps him, but it's literally as the klaxon goes, and they say, so that's pretty impressive. I mean, in the Carl Uno fight, like, he sort of, his work rate comes, the, the draw, the draw, I mean, his work rate comes right down in that. But, you know, Carl Uno was a kind of, uh, quite a tricky fighter for his time. He had a pretty good kicking game, like, the basic compared to what we know now, of course. But, it's been a while but, since I watched that, too, but I remember thinking it was a fairly clear pen win, that it shouldn't have been a draw. See, for me, like, it, it's hard to tell with, with those sort of, I haven't watched it for a while, but you know when those decisions, they're quite a tepid kind of fight, you know, yeah. like it's, sometimes it's kind of like, well, is it a draw? Maybe no, but did anyone actually deserve to win? Maybe no as well, but, but Uno was a good fighter, like, like you say, like he beat, and he actually knocked the first fight with Romina Sato is, is really amazing, like I've spoke about it on the podcast before, like a really fun, scrambly fight, and he actually just like, Blamos Sato in the in the rematch, she just hits him with a really awkward looking right hand and just sort of lays him out, which is not indicative at all of of Uno, but like showed that he had that to his game, I guess, like to an extent. It's not something you ever really see from him, um, but he was a really respected fighter, and you know, there's nothing really wrong with that. Um, obviously, like Matt Hughes eventually sort of like you know flattened BJ out and pummeled him, and he didn't do anything, and it's not really much of a um, not much to say about that other than it's just another Herculean sort of chin appearance. Like BJ Penn's chin yeah. was that transcends eras. There's, there's okay, he might get hit more and hit cleaner by fighters that are quote unquote you know better. Actually, there's no quote unquote about it. Like we know that generally the talent pool is is filled up with uh, more dynamic fighters that right. understand how to blend their styles better. But but BJ Penn's chin was was ludicrous. It was ludicrous. Um, the next fight I want to get onto really is the first Frankie Edgar fight, which. I don't know if people at the time really trusted Rogan and Goldie's commentary or something, but... I think that was widely recognised as a horrific robbery. Like, BJ Penn, that, like, Danny and Trump sort of pointed to how BJ Penn's boxing was kind of kind of quite basic, and in that fight, it shows that it's not like... We know for a fact that Frank Yeager was really good at what Frank Yeager did, and he would really tire guys out. BJ Penn was tired by, like, the fifth round, but... Up until that fight, it's a brilliant display of like BJ Penn's counter, like check hook, like he check hooks Frankie like constantly, and like what Joe Rogan seems to think. Oh look, BJ Penn's really flat-footed right now. It's like he's holding his ground. He's timing Frankie's raids throughout the fight, landing the better shots, constantly landing the the, the better sort of punctuating the the combos that Frankie throws with a harder shot of his own. Yeah, he was countering his entries, jabbing him up on the outside, and largely shutting down Edgar's transitions. Like, Edgar did a lot of work with that that knee tap that he likes to play into strikes, and he was having some success converting that into, like, kicks and into, like, one-twos off the knee tap. But largely, like, he wasn't able to get the the play between his wrestling and striking going, and that's how Edgar likes to win most of his fights. He framed off really... Especially back then. in the third round, like Frankie, like frames off a sort of like a takedown attempt, and then goes high with a kick, and it lands quite well. Um, and like BJ's like, oh shit, I didn't like that. But then it goes back into the same pattern. Like I'd say that maybe the third and fifth round, you can. The fifth round is Frankie Edgar's round. Um, but again, like at the time, they're like, oh, that's a takedown. That's big. That's a takedown yeah. because no one takes BJ Penn down. 
and even weighing into the fact that takedowns did count for more under that set. I think we forget sometimes if we watch fights through our modern eyes that we have to score them as they would have scored them then. Um, because it's know, weird with that because the rule set didn't really give takedowns much weight, the actual scoring criteria, but convention judging conventions. They always did. scored it. And yeah, it's they weird. still score it like net like that now. So like I don't know whether we should watch that and be like, okay, the judges suck, but this is what the scoring criteria actually said, like we do with modern day ones, or if we should be like, okay, this is how the judges were gonna score it. They act like sort of Frankie's like dictating the pace and actually Frankie's just doing what he does, which is, you know, it's a lot of pace and a lot of sort of bluster and flapping around and I it was really when... the like the prime uh, MMA guy who doesn't know much about striking looks at a guy who's buzzing around a lot and thinks he's the one dictating the pace. Yeah, well, BJ was he was a very old veteran performance from BJ, and probably actually the last great performance we got out of him against a fighter in in, in his prime. And I think we, I didn't realize that then because obviously in the rematch Frankie does win clearly, but yeah. I wonder. Whether if that officially had gone to BJ Penn, there's it's a bit of a weird question this one because maybe Frankie Edgar then never wins a title or maybe we don't look at Frankie Edgar the same way. But let's say that <clears throat> it officially goes to BJ Penn. The controversy is Joe Rogan says, "Oh, Frankie Edgar should have won that fight," and they give Frankie Edgar the rematch anyway, and then Frankie wins and his career proceeds in much the same fashion as it did. I don't, I don't remember your rankings, right, but I had Frankie Edgar in my top 10 pound for pound, and he ended up in our consensus rankings of the top 10. I think I had him top 10, too. Okay, so what does BJ And Penn's... I don't give him credit for the BJ win, or for the first BJ Fine. win. I give credit Fine. and credit for that one. So I'm saying, should we be given... We, a, lot, a lot of the criticism leveled at BJ is, well, where are the top-level wins? Matt Hughes actually isn't... Matt Hughes was really good at the time, but if you look at Matt Hughes, he was he really that good? And you know, and was Joe Stevenson really that good? Joe Stevenson was actually was pretty good actually. Sean Shirk was better than pretty good, and Kenny Florian was pretty good too. Um, and Domi was obviously really good, a bit flaky at times, but really good. But what does BJ's legacy look like if we have to recognise him with a win over a guy who is one of the top ten greatest fighters that have ever lived? I think That's we do have asking. to recognise. Penn's win over Edgar. I don't really, I honestly don't see a case for giving Edgar that win. Um, As for that, I think Edgar's definitely BJ's win, and he's a fantastic win. Like you mentioned, a genuine top 10 pound pound fighter. I don't think he was quite in his prime. I think his prime came a little bit later after the, like, during the, from the Henderson fight to the Mendez fight, I would say, or the second Aldo fight. But he was not very, if he wasn't prime, he wasn't too far off his prime. Um, and he proved in the rematch with BJ, it was like four months later, he proved how good he was there. That wasn't too far off the first fight that BJ won either. Uh, in terms of his overall resume, I think Edgar stands out far and away above his other wins. He has, like you mentioned, Shirk, Hughes, Florian, uh, Stevenson, etc. are all good wins. But for me, they're not quite uh, legacy-making wins the way guys, uh, some of the guys that... Frankie Edgar beat are like Mendez uh, Henderson if we give him credit for the second win which we should true so I think Maynard free because just because you know and uh, again like Gray Maynard was pretty basic but obviously he was a really he was actually a really good wrestler 
Um, not an amazing MMA wrestler, but he was just so big and strong. Um, and obviously a, a concussive puncher as well. Like, yeah, I think a solid boxer that. too. Like he wasn't yeah, solid super boxer, yeah. finesse or anything, but he was. No, he had he enough to deliver doing. his power effectively. Yeah, and, and and also as well, again, like Frank Edgar taking him on and beating him, especially given the ebb and flow of their prior two fights. Well, obviously, Maynard wins the first one. The second one is a, an all-time great fight. I actually preferred the third one because it's very much the same as the second one, but punctuated by what seemed an improbable knockout. Um, the fact that Frankie, we now know, is probably a natural bantamweight, taking on a guy who was probably a natural welterweight, that holds a lot of weight for me, excuse the pun, but like that's really impressive because Maynard was a, a really fucking big dude. And, Honestly, uh, Edgar not... going down and he didn't beat Munoz, I don't think. I don't think there's much of a case for him winning that fight. But even him being competitive with Munoz past the point of being like nearly physically shot, he's already shown he can't really compete with elite featherweights anymore. And then he goes down well, well past his prime and is very competitive with one of the top bantamweights in Pedro Munoz. That does a lot for Edgar for me. And really, I think it shows that he could have been not only elite at bantamweight forever, but likely, like, he could have beaten a lot of the champs, I think. Uh, my concern, Frankie, move, as he moved down, was always he's going to lose a lot of what made him brilliant, which was, you know, he was faster than them, his movement was faster, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, and I'm still a bit concerned about that, because, like, as good as Munoz Pedro is... Munoz is slow as fuck. Yeah, Munoz is, like, the one, like, patient, slow band away. He is slow. He's really good. He's just so technically well-versed in everything, really. And really just a, a really great professional. That's how I describe, you know, it's like, it reminds me kind of like our Sun Sale did, where he's just, he's just yeah. pretty, pretty good at everything. Um, the, a Sun Sale, funnily enough, is a kind of fighter that I would expect they're going to be. Shram's going to be crying now if he, he won't listen to this anyway, but he would cry. But that's the kind of, kind of fighter that I would expect Edgar to be. Someone like yeah, Dillashaw. I think Edgar would be a terrible matchup for that. I don't see yeah, him taking Dillashaw, out Dillashaw. I'm not sure. Cruz, maybe? I'd love, maybe? I would have loved to have seen that fight. That was, I that don't think have been a lot. Have that would have been a lot of movement and not a lot of actually going on, I think. I do, I do wonder whether, like, although, like, Cruz is always pretty good in terms of defensive wrestling. Like, Frankie was pretty good in that regard offensively. Um, we're bigger guys, wrestling like, lightweights makes me yeah, wonder there. Yeah, it does make me wonder too. Um, and also, like Frankie, he's quite an underrated puncher. He was never a, he's never been heavy-handed in his life. But just through speed and precision, like he's always been quite a hurtful puncher. Like the knockout of Maynard was generally like terrifying, and he caught Chad with a good one. And and generally, pretty much everyone he's faced, Egg has got the respect of at some stage, apart yeah. from like Aldo, basically. But again, I'm not trying to argue that. BJ's in that Aldo thing. I think right. I'm the only person out of all of us that had him in his top 20. I had him, I think, 19th. Um, and although now you and I have discussed this before, the kind of, well, two weight champions aren't really that impressive because usually they're made under dubious circumstances or what have you. In this one, like, it wasn't made as like a selling thing. It was a, um, uh, we have no one for Matt Hughes to fight thing and BJ Penn's going to step in and take the fight. So right. for BJ, that's actually quite impressive. It's not a Cormier, Stipe, double champ. It's not a, a McGregor Alvarez, you know, although actually I think the interim might have already been taken by that point. But whatever, it's not that thing. It's not, you know, um, is that the only other ones we've had? McGregor and Alvarez and, and uh, DC. And... 
Oh, Cejudo and De La Shaw. Cejudo, yeah, Cejudo and De La Shaw, yeah, 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 yeah. In which case, obviously, Cejudo didn't win one of the one of his double champ fights. Uh, what do you mean? I'm lost. The DJ fight. He only legitimately uh, won the Bantamweight belt. That's true. Well, no, he didn't. He didn't even win that legitimately. He, he won the vacant Bantamweight belt. Oh, yeah, he won the no, Marais, so it wasn't the lineal, yeah. Actually, actually funny enough, with the Bantamweight thing, um, it's, it's generally accept, accepted amongst any historians that have a fucking clue what they're talking about that it's always the lower limit. It's always the lower limit. So if they fought at 136, then the belt wouldn't have been on the line. It's like the Chad Dawson and Andre Ward thing. Like um, they fought at 168, but Andre Ward actually won the lineal light heavyweight championship because essentially anything above 168 is light heavyweight anyway. So right. 125 up to 135, that's still bantamweight regardless of the fact that TJ Dillashaw looked like Freddie Mercury in his last days. <laughs> you know what I mean? That Which makes sense, the, the, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? He's still, yeah, he, so, he yeah. beat Dillashaw and then won the vacant belt, so I would give him credit for the Bantamweight. Yeah, of course, of course. And he, and he defended it. So for me, like, you yeah. know, he beat the, the greatest Bantamweight of all time. So for me, like, he was... And just tangential again, and guys, if you if you want to pay three bucks to hear us talk about every facet of MMA that has ever existed, but... um. Sudo at least was the person who came closest to beating DJ like oh yeah in 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 his prime run you know what I mean like even I if he think... didn't win that fight the fight not only does it reflect incredibly well on Sudo but I think it shows that he could have beat him in a, in a rematch like, might have even leaned towards Sudo consider the first fight where he just got sun like like what what took DJ four rounds to figure out against John Dodson took him about 40 seconds to figure out against Hudo and just need him into oblivion. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that showed the levels between them at the time. And I'll tell you what, like, it's really weird that Hudo became this king of cringe fighter because when he was the yeah, Olympic gold medalist talking about um, turning over and I was watching amateur boxing and footage of, it, footage of him at some carnival or some shit. And I thought, this guy's got it all. If he puts it together, it'd be really good. And then he was a major disappointment. It couldn't make weight. Fights <laughs> were being cancelled. He then finally gets his ass in gear and gets wiped out by um, DJ. Has a ridiculously competitive fight with Benavidez after then becoming a complete dick on the Ultimate Fighter. You're like, oh my God, this guy's never going to make it. And then improbably puts together a run and becomes, you know, an elite fighter. Like, I want to sort of matter of fact we've gone on a tangent here but talking about double champs is a pretty good comparison to make do you think that you know discounting the DJ the second DJ fight does Hudo actually have a better resume slash legacy than, than BJ Penn I'm not sure that he does um I think I'd, I'd have to think about that more but yeah Suhudo has better wins at the the higher end for sure but a lot of those have like weird asterisks Astros, around them yeah. like I don't really care too much about the Cruz win because Cruz was four years off losing to Garbrandt and his body was just obliterated. The Dillashaw one, if I could give, if I could be confident that like he beat the Dillashaw we saw in the the Garbrandt fights, then I would comfortably say that yeah, I think his legacy yeah, is better definitely, than definitely, definitely, definitely. TJ, TJ's in our top. For me, that was very much a this fighter is weight weakened and looks like a mess. And that's why he's capitulated so fast. That's I really what wish I would like have either seen more of him in that fight or seen him in another fight at flyweight, because 
we we got like thirty seconds, and he looked like nothing. So I don't know whether to say like that. Could, it could have been caught cold. Could have been or, yeah. Could have been caught cold. You know what I mean? But um, and even even that, I mean, even it's not like Zahudo destroyed him and knocked him unconscious. Clobbered him a few times, and the fight got stopped. And TJ's like, "What the fuck, man?" Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I think it was a fair stoppage, but it's not like oh, the yeah. most emphatic like win ever. Right. Um. But TJ ranks above, and it, it's very stupid to say, well, he ranks higher on our list, so it's a better win, because obviously we take these things on a case-by-case basis. I think if anyone's listening to this so far, they would know we're not doing this. It's not some half-assed, um, well, I rank him higher, so it's a better win, because I rank Cruz higher than TJ, and the TJ win is, what, better, maybe better than the Cruz win? Because Cruz, like, I would look say, yeah, very... I don't, the Cruz was four years off. Even was it fighting really at four all. years? Was it, it was, really four years? The Garbrandt fight was in was. 2016. Might have been wow. at the end of 2016, though. So it might have been like three years. Okay. It's still a long time, especially for a fighter who's literally got someone else's ACL. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, got a dead, he's got a cadaver's ACL, and you know one of them got rejected. And the bloke gets injured all the time. And his style was predicated on youth to an extent. Um, the Cruz came back from the dead once and beat Dillashaw regardless of what you think of that decision that actually is an arguable decision um, and that is amazing in itself and that's why he's one of the greatest fighters of all time um, but you know to, the fact that he did it once doesn't mean that he would have done it again and that's a hudo that's, that's an amazing win or some shit right. um, the, Marais, the Marais win is good but clearly has not aged well um, yeah I've even before that fight, I've suspected, like, when, I think when Marais beat Sterling, I said that I hope he gets a title shot soon because I don't think he is long. Marais came over, he was almost, uh, he was 10 years into his career during his first UFC fight. So he was never going to last too long. And I think he is kind of fading at this point. But he's oh, still I think an elite he's, I think he's still a super impressive win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was an elite man away. I mean, he was elite in that division. I'm not sure he's like a legitimately elite fighter overall. Um, definitely done some good things, but had some sort of uh, maybe some mental deficiencies in that in in that sense. Like you know, he seems like a bit of a. a I think he probably in was in his prime, but he got there too late to really do too much. I remember the time a couple. I'm go. sure he had a thought. I'm sure he had a few stinkers and. In, in World Series of Fighting. I'm sure there was a, at least one fight where I thought, man, this this guy just ain't as good as I thought he was. Do you know what I mean? Like, for, 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 new, for newcomers, that became uh, PFL, which is, you know, it's now a league-based thing. I think it, it was World Series of Fighting, so we've got Justin Gaethje as well. So, and, uh, and, and Nick Newell. Nick Newell, very, very smart young man who, uh, <laughs> who thinks COVID doesn't exist and is now, and now, now caught COVID. it. Yeah, I could make I could make Funny a distasteful joke, but I won't. It's, it's a family podcast, um, so it's definitely not a family podcast. So, I mean, for, <laughs> don't I, show this honest, to your kids. Yeah, don't show this to your kids. They definitely won't be interested unless you want to put them to sleep. Um, they'll probably say, "Who's the scary English man? He sounds like a toucher," um, which would not be true. Um, um, yeah, I don't know, man. Disagree. I have receipts screenshots. Yeah, that but, say otherwise. well, yeah, you know, I was going to call this podcast Kyle and the Cat Boy. <laughs> um, so if you don't follow Ryan, do Ryan. How long is this Catboy phase actually going to last? I don't know if it's going to end. I kind of like it. I might keep it. You know, you're getting your winter coat now. Next summer you'll be molting and you'll just go back to normal human again. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> but, um, I don't know how cold it is in in Vancouver right now. But, but you know, 
I'm guessing it's pretty fucking cold. No, we don't. It's not too bad. Um, Vancouver doesn't really get that cold, although I'm from Ontario, so it might be just that, like, normal cold yeah. doesn't really feel like cold to me. Yeah, that's uh, true. It gets cold for, like, a month, month and a half in the winter, but other than that, it's usually either warm or just fine. But but- one, one last point I wanted to bring up about BJ is that, um, aside from, um, just to, to wrap up the Suhudo-BJ discussion, I think I would have them... Co- pretty i think they have pretty similar legacies in my view the second demetrius johnson fight does a law for cejudo even though i don't think you can argue at all that he won it he was like i said super competitive with dj um incredible one arguably the best pound for pound fighter ever certainly a top five best fighter ever and cejudo was right in there with him in a way that suggested to me that he was capable of winning that fight like i said if they rematched i might have even picked cejudo uh, so being in there and competitive, taking rounds off DJ, that is an incredible boost to his legacy for me. The Sergio Pettis and Formiga wins are elite wins as well, and I rate those quite highly. And even if I don't quite know what to do with the Dillashaw win, Dillashaw is still elite and it's still there. Um, so I think he had better wins at the very top level than BJ did, but he doesn't have... like BJ has a lot of kind of secondary characteristics that Cejudo didn't with the weight hopping, the uh, beating guys like Matt Hughes, uh, being competitive with Leota Machida. So I would rate them, I would have them probably both just a little bit outside my top 20, and I would I think they have similar legacies. It seems relatively fair. I mean, I mean, it does seem fair, not relatively, it seems fair. It's your criteria, and you know, you've, you've, you've argued your case well. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you sort of see those guys as being similar because I feel like uh, some of our colleagues just sort of dismiss BJ's sort of body of work as, well, yeah, it was good for its time. Right. Um, I do think and, with Cejudo that I, I only think they're comparable because he retired. If he didn't, I'd, I would expect Cejudo to pretty clearly outclips BJ. Sure. I mean, that's fair. Um you know, you could kind of make the same argument if BJ had actually remained sort of focused his whole career and, you know, stuck around at weights he should have done, that maybe he would have done some more sub- substantial stuff as well. Um, right. And as I say, like, I think if we all just did recognise the fact that he's got the win over Edgar as well, that does a lot. That does a lot for his, his legacy because he does have that sort of bona fide sort of uh, uh, top 10 legend on his, on his resume. Um, because right. most people don't sure. really rate Matt Hughes in that way now. I mean, in, in the kind of way like past his prime, and we spoke about Leota Machida, you know, I'm old enough to remember when everyone was like, is anyone ever going to solve this guy? And all, all it actually needed was for someone to just like, you know, actually counter him in the pocket. Actually wasn't that hard to beat him yeah. if you just, if you just no sailed his feints. Like Machida did some really interesting stuff. Like sort of, he kind of like fainted with his hips a lot. And you never knew where he was sort of going to be coming from. And he did sort of like, you actually know the names for the, for the kicks and whatnot. But he thought, did sort of weird, like sort of toe snap kicks and stuff. Yeah, like, like really kind of triangle kicks kind of where stuff. they come up at a diagonal angle rather than yeah. like more horizontally. And they land and at like, the ball of the foot. And like he only like the really Sinkaku sort of, Gary or whatever. Yeah. And like the way he threw his backhand, that straight backhand is like someone like, if you watch someone doing like karate kata, when you're learning, like when you actually punch out sort of straight and do the hype, you know what I mean? He like, turned that... he turned MMA fighters into those stupid practice dummies that do the the compliant yeah. drills in the exact way you want them to in order to punch them in the face. 
it was really weird. But the the way he did it was with like just like mesmerizing him with his feints. And he wasn't even particularly like the most dangerous fire. Like the the, the the everyone remembers like the 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 Rashad knockout where his eyes are rolling in the back of his head and the crane kick against Randy Couture and whatnot. And most of the time, Machida just wanted to be left alone. <laughs> and would and would basically make make the fight devolve into a, into a point fighting contest, which is yeah obviously his background to to an extent. Um, but yeah, people were generally worried about can we ever beat this guy? And the UFC really wanted him to lose because he was generally quite boring. But yeah. I'm also old enough to remember when John Fitch was the number two welterweight for a really fucking long time, and everyone was saying for a very fucking long time. When is GSP going to give John Fitch the rematch? Even though GSP dominated him, because there was not really anyone else out there. Because whatever happened, John Fitch would just beat everyone else. Um, and you know, although he was a bit past it by then, the fact that BJ Penn was able to compete with a welterweight and, Yo, and do so well. Like, I, I watched that fight recently. I he think... got body tri- Did he get body triangled in the third? He got his back taken in the third round and gets body triangled and just gets hammered on. Is that what oh, happens yeah, in the got, third round? I don't think he got body triangled. I think, I think he just got stuffed up against the cage and pounded on, but he got okay. kind of the shit beaten out of him there. But in the first two rounds, uh, in the first round, he he come out like right away, super hot and pressured Fitch to the cage immediately and then got into the clinch. And he was he was doing really interesting stuff there too. Like he would, the way he, I actually watched that fight recently and the way he, he got Fitch to like give up those takedowns because he wasn't, he obviously couldn't just go into the clinch, grab a hold of him and chuck him down because he's fucking tiny. But he would break off the cage when the Fitch was pushing him there and throw like a really quick flurry of punches. Like, you know how BJ does his quick clinch punches? Yeah. To bring Fitch's guard up and then immediately duck in on the hips and then just surprise him there, lift him and dump him on the back before he could do anything. The He hit one of the one of his kind of signature back takes in the first round against Fitch that was really slick. He he went right off the takedown into his smash pass thing where he kind of forces the butterfly and wraps it. He switches his hips to to cut his leg in between his opponents and then like ties up the legs so they're kind of forced to go to their back. Fitch, obviously, his top leg was stuck across him so he can't turn into BJ to get guard or to, to get an underhook or whatever. So you have to turn away from them, and then BJ gets the back and locks up the body triangle. I do think, after watching that fight again, that BJ kind of oh, clearly oh, lost. Oh, so, 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 so that's that's where the body triangle comes from. It was BJ that got a yeah, body triangle. Yeah, it was BJ doing okay. that. But okay. I do think that Penn pretty clearly lost that fight, as Fitch, he didn't really do much in the second round, only had the body triangle for like 30 seconds, and Fitch was more effective with the striking. But I don't think the overall result actually matters too much, because like we said... Fitch was one of the the top welterweights of that era, and Penn was not a welterweight at all, and he was there out wrestling Fitch and taking his back. Also, also won the first round against Nick Diaz and hung tough in there, uh, better than some other welterweights did. Like you remember, how, like Paul Daly got like flattened yeah. um, after an amazing shootout. BJ actually boxed Nick up in the first round. Yes, he took a absolutely monumentous beating after that like he got the shit kicked out of him but like the idea that I just gave up and, and didn't want to win um, standing there and getting the shit kicked out he wasn't fiddling his way through that fight like he took that he took a beating I think Rory beat the shit out of him as well do you know what I mean oh, yeah. like he could have easily capitulated the only time we actually see BJ get stopped is like by uh, you know this corner pull him out in the second GSP fight, 
Matt Hughes, I think, crucifixed him and just beat the shit out of him. Um, and then, obviously, eventually he moves down to featherweight and looks worse than TJ Dillashaw did at flyweight. And, yeah. you know, Frankie, like, still like, beat mistake. him up. Took a couple of rounds for Frankie to put him away. Um, so Frankie officially won the series. By the way, like, BJ also did, we always always forget, but he did actually end up winning the Matt Hughes series because he destroyed him in, like, 15 seconds. Yes. When when Matt Hughes was was an old man. So like he did, you know, it's a bit of kudos there. He did have, did eventually turn that around. That first GSP fight though, like it's hard to get across. Like I think you and I, Ryan, are more favourable to GSP as well, because I think a lot of our colleagues sort of feel like uh oh, GSP's kinda of like a product of his time to an extent. And I don't, I don't really know if think... they feel that I think most of them would pick him to beat Usman. And back when Woodley was champ, like everybody oh, we know was like LOL, GSP would kill him easily. Which, yeah, yeah of course. I, 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 don't, I don't think they're picking the Beatlesman. I don't think they're picking the Beatlesman. People are already saying Usman's the greatest welterweight. Nobody we think highly of is saying that. Well, you obviously don't think, think very highly of Danny. He's very close to crowning Usman as the greatest welterweight. Danny didn't time. say Usman's the greatest welterweight. <clears throat> so he's one win off. Did he? Yeah, I think so. Mm. I think he said. I think he said that he beat GSP. I, I actually think it's a super close fight. I think Usman's yeah. amazing. Um, and Usman would take BJ Penn down probably as GSP Usman did in the in the, kill yeah. in the second fight but in that first fight um, Usman would uh, just if he wanted to kill him with body shots anyway I think yeah I mean and, and again that's not, that's not that's not a slight against BJ Penn yeah. Usman is Usman a humongous welterweight he's like and the welterweights of BJ Penn's era were not Usman like Usman oh, let me put, 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 put a point to put a point to Ryan would you pick any Lightweight to beat Usman? No. Uh, Is that no. you go then? I would. Not. You thought about you thought about Habib for a second then, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I w- I don't think Habib can grapple with him or clinch with him, but I th- I thought there may have been some like where his speed is able to surprise Usman and get get a quick knockout. But I definitely wouldn't pick him. Yeah, exactly. So that's not a slight on BJ Penn, is it? That's a you know Usman's physically domineering for fully fledged welterweights. So yeah, absolutely. You got to I think, wouldn't like, pick any welterweight think, to beat Usman uh, either. There's there's only fifteen pounds between it, but there's not because Usman's probably cut him from about one ninety, one ninety five by the looks of him. And like He's, the point I was making is that if you look at Penn's era of welterweight, if you put in like Fitch with Usman, he would look like BJ Penn did against Fitch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he would just get um, muscled around, strong exa- all day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I don't want to make the case that John Fitch was ever particularly good. It, what he did was relatively basic um but he did it very well and you know the point i always make is and the point i'm trying to get across is a lot of people that we know not just our colleagues but other people we know that are like-minded mma fans kind of say well that wouldn't work today um but it worked certain things that might look sort of basic for their time i mean fitch like, isn't worse than like What's that Georgian guy at Bantamweight who's... Merab the, really well. the Shabili, yeah, yeah. Which is not worse than him. But if you look at like someone like, like, like Matt Hughes, yeah, it probably wouldn't work today. Matt Hughes probably would be like oh, yeah. 145 pounds or way too slow. But in his own time, it worked against a wide variety of styles. Right. Do you know what I mean? Um, so like the idea that... I mean, people for a while thought that Habib was too basic. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh God, a return to wrestle fucking, that's not going to yep. be much fun but obviously to the keen eye there's a lot more to it than simple skill set yeah of course you can say that you know obviously I use him as an example every time because he's the best fighter that ever lived 
Jose Aldo just is way more skilled than this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. But it doesn't mean that this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy aren't good in their own right. And actually, like, I don't think... Uh, a matter of fact, the BJ, like, Habib thing is, is kind of interesting just because, uh, although I think Habib would win, um, it would be pretty cool to see that supernatural takedown defence. Um, I do wonder, like, you're going to tell me now that obviously Habib's setups are just way more complex than anyone BJ ever wrestled. And also his clinch. Yeah. The clinch would be the big sticking point for me. Like, Usman, or not Usman, Habib would single leg him and BJ would defend it to the cage. And then I, I don't think he'd be able to do anything at all in the clinch. Even GSP was never much of a clinch guy. Kenny Florian was. Kenny Florian was pretty good in the clinch. Habib-esque, you may say. I might not say that. No, I might not say it either, but it's fun, <laughs> isn't it? It's fun. Try <laughs> saying it with me. Say it. Kenny Florian is Habib-esque in the clinch. Kenny Florian. Uh, I can't do it. I can't. Oh, it's a shame because I was going to just take that little sound bite, chop it up, and just put it out there and say, <laughs> you know, oh my God, look what Ryan said in this podcast. If you want to hear it, it, come over to YouTube. Yeah, I'm on to you, Kyle. I mean? you, you can't trick me like that. I, I get yeah. Taylor with that too much anyway. Yeah, but he's easy. He's easy to get. <laughs> Fucking hell, man! That that one, for a guy, for a guy that good. smart, for a guy that smart, he's easy to uh, he's easy oh, to sort of think, isn't he? Yeah, love that guy. Go on. One last point I wanted to make about BJ, aside from the like evaluating his wins and legacy, I think something that really stands out to me when looking back at his career is just how important he was for the the development of the meta in MMA and how ahead of it he was in a lot of respects. His, his, I've talked about this a lot before. I mentioned it in our Habib um, wrap-up after the Gaethje fight. But his passing game kind of formed the basis for like the modern meta of passing in MMA. You see GSP and Maya doing a lot of those, like they where they force half, they force three-quarter guard or half butterfly or whatever, and then step over that into into half guard and work on tripod tripoding over the guard especially Maya with his focus on smash passing and the leg weaves and dope mount. BJ Penn was really the first to kind of introduce that into MMA. And he he really showed how good a style it is for MMA. As we know, Joe Rogan always talks about how, how the butterfly guard is useful off your back because you can create distance. Or with a closed guard, you're not really actively working on standing up. You're just pulling them into you, which doesn't help you in a game where you're losing by spending time on the bottom. So the natural response to that is to to create frames to push the guy on top away, and that kind of leg weave uh, tripod passing game is a natural counter to that. If the guy is pushing you away, elevate your hips, lock down his upper body with yours, and tripod over the guard. And we've seen BJ Penn was kind of the first installment of that. We've seen guys improve on that and continue developing that game. And then you can see kind of the culmination in Habib where he uses that, the tripod passing style combined with folk style wrestling elements and a devastating uh, ground and pound game. Penn also kind of did a lot for the, the back control on MMA, not just in terms of his actual entries to the back. Like I talked about the one on Fitch where he uses the tripod passing to force him to turn and then takes the back and locks up the body triangle. But also both his his style of finishing where he would take the, the wrist inside wrist control from the back, stuff it down and trap it with a leg. And nowadays we see that's one of the more common finishes we see to the rear naked choke, but also catching chokes in transition. Penn was really good at that. 
um, where guys would, he would take the back and guys would immediately try to turn out or post and he'd use that to wrap up the neck. And again, that's another really common finish we see in MMA now. In the striking, he wasn't as revolutionary, but you can still see like he has one of the earlier uh, interpretations of a good nuanced jab, especially back in his time, like in 2000, 2005, 2006, nobody, people jabbed, but like it was, they didn't know why they were jabbing or like how to really use that to, to bolster the rest of their game. Penn would, he didn't just throw his jabs, he would use his jab to dip under counters, he would use it to draw out counters and punish them. Um, there's a in the first Edgar fight, he was constantly not only like dipping into hard jabs where he'd slip under Edgar's and be able to close distance with them, but he was using like light flicking jabs to bait out Edgar's rush and then check hooking him and pivoting off. Um, and that's that was a really early kind of game to play back then, or a really modern kind of jab that we didn't see often back then. So I think there's a lot about BJ technically that really stood out ahead of the game. I do think, like, I suspect Danny and Suram raised the point about kicks, and I do think that um, if we're talking about him, like, technically in relation to modern fighters, that that is a big downside. But back then, kicks weren't as big of a thing. Like, there were no good kickers around his He had pretty good knees. He had pretty good knees. Yep, that's true. Uh, Like, that's the kind of thing, like... um, it's not like he couldn't kick. He just never developed developed a kicking game, which is a real shame. Um, it's more a case of like, you know, when comparing BJ Penn to like modern fighters, it's not like saying he isn't as good. The fact is he could have been better, and that's that's a shame. Yeah, really. I mean, he could with have been the, better. With the kicking game, I'm not talking so much about his own kicks, but in that, I suspect if you'd put him up against somebody with an actual kicking game, that he would have yeah, been. Yeah, sure largely completely unable to deal with that in the feet. But that's also a factor of, uh, like like I said, there was nobody with a kicking game back then. The kickers in MMA, especially around his weight, like th- their whole thing was being good at throwing kicks. Like they would hit you with a leg kick and then they hit you with another leg kick or they'd throw a body kick. Nobody actually had like a developed game. Like You no. can't look, unless they were like a southpaw double attack guy like Krokop. But I don't really remember many strong guys like that around that weight. Eve Edwards, maybe, but yeah, Eve Edwards, but BJ never fought Edwards, um, but no. he never really had much incentive to deal with that because it just didn't really exist, which is both like something to to give credit to him and take it away, I guess, because in one respect, he was kind of, he was very behind the modern meta uh, in regards to that because it wasn't something that MMA had really developed back then, but at the same time, it was he wasn't forced to respond to that threat. So there was never really incentive for him to actually yeah. deal with it. Yeah. You do wonder whether obviously now he's obviously a hyper competitive guy. If he was coming around nowadays. He just, you know, at a gym nowadays, a decent MMA gym, they probably would just learn it more. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, like look at like someone like Max Holloway. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he's managed to incorporate. And even now, like, you know, Max can be, caught with with leg kicks more than I would like to see but even in Hawaii now they're obviously training a lot more modern sort of game do you know what I mean whereas in that yeah, time it's, it's something it, you can look at to, and have success with but it's not like a trump card it's not like you're just gonna you can't just be like I'm gonna kick him and I'm gonna win yeah exactly exactly whereas you know and you know the fact matter is that BJ didn't really lose fights because people just decided to kick him either like you say it wasn't yeah. a massively developed part. The last thing I want to touch on, which is another thing you raised 
when you and I had our little back and forth in the Habib, uh, uh, is Habib the Mega Madoff the greatest of all time? Check it out on www.thefight-site.com because it was very fun. Good contributions from everyone. Um, you said, raised the point of young fighters that are coming in, they have something to aim for and they build their game around taking down the champion and those becoming the signature wins. So we spoke about Frank Edgar a lot, but do you think Frank Edgar fits that bill? Um, do you mean like in terms of the champion or in terms of the up and comer? I mean, like he was coming up when BJ Penn was the man and eventually fought him and clearly tailored his style to try and, you know, and try, he tried his absolute best to take BJ out of what, you know, you know, he, he did try his absolute best to take that belt from him and kind of fits that sort of criteria of the young guy coming up who has the, he has his mindset on the belt, eventually gets a title shot and pushes the champion to his limits. You know, it, does he fit that criteria for you? Is he BJ's young pretender, you know, the guy that's built his game around beating the champion? In some respects, I think so, but I'm not sure BJ had quite a long enough array at lightweight to really say that. Uh, I think he won the, the title around the time of Edgar's first fight in the UFC. Not but 100% definitely, sure but, he, but he was definitely one of the most prominent sort of lightweight fighters for years before that. Do you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, for sure. I remember, I remember people always saying, like, when is BJ going to finally get that bout? When is he finally going to go back down to his natural weight class and finally win that bout? People yeah. think, like, you know, like, his prime was at lightweight and he was the best lightweight of all time. Obviously, now we know Habib is, but that's what everyone fought for years. And the fact of the matter is that he fought at lightweight or... I mean, it was so long ago when he first fought lightweight, it was called like bantamweight. Do you know what I mean? That's what you yeah. see first market as bantamweight. And then fucked around for a couple of years, as we said, fighting middleweights, light heavyweights, heavyweights, um, welterweights, a- anything other than what people wanted him to do, which was go back down to 155. And he wasn't in the UFC and was fighting, you know, the only organizations that wouldn't allow him to fight at 155. If he was in pride, he probably would have fought at lightweight, but he was fighting heroes. It's all weird fights, you know? Um, and everyone always talking about when's BJ going to back down to lightweight. It was actually seen not so much as his prime, but the culmination of a full career by the time he finally yeah, got down to lightweight and won the belt. But he only the, had like 12 fights. His first reign at welterweight, it was a, like a year or two before Frankie started his career too, I think. So yeah, I can definitely see that. So, you know, like it was always a case of this guy's fighting above his weight. And, you know, when he finally did win the bout, it was like, finally, he's won the bout. The guy had like 12 fights, but it felt like yeah. he'd been fighting forever. He'd gone through, you know, premature boldness in the amount of time it took him to start <laughs> his career and finally win the bout. He always looked like an old dude. We think now he's like, oh, yeah, he's like Anderson Silver. He's like 48 it is years weird old. I think he's only like 40, BJ Penn. I don't think he's that old. He's like 41 or something. I yeah, don't think he's think that, that's right. that. Now getting knocked out by random dudes on the street. God, where he looks professional... way worse than 40. Like, looking at his body in like, his last UFC fights, it's sad. I mean, like, as we say, like, you shouldn't really look at the post-prime stuff, but seeing him like lose to Clay Guida is genuinely distressing. Yeah. Because that's, that's another guy who's well past his best. No one wants to see that. Seeing Yair beat him up is is not good. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we've seen the last of him. But I hope that anyone who's listened to this has kind of reevaluated what they think about him, whether they thought of him as top five of all time or 
not even top 50 of all time. I think it's I think it's clear to see say that. I mean, you said you don't have him in your top 20, but he'd be top 25, top 30 for you. I think so. I haven't thought too much beyond the immediate top 20, top 30. I think definitely top 25. Rat, I'd have sorry, to we have up. two more double weight champions in major organisations, are of course not at the same time, but Randy Couture, Dan Henderson. So. Would you put him in that sort of? Would you put him in that sort of twenty-one to thirty-two? I think well above Couture and Henderson. I rate Hendo higher than pretty much all of you guys. Yeah. Um, I think Hendo's fucking brilliant. Um, not uh, brilliant at fighting, but his actual—I mean, he was pretty good at fighting. Uh, but his actual resume and his career, uh, up and down for much of it, but he, he accumulated so many good names of thing like it's hard to and like he has that kind of thing going for him where like he's like one of the hardest punches ever and had one of the best chins ever and has yeah. insane longevity and titles in in pride and stuff and you know just I, I find it hard not to give Dan Henderson credit I know people go like well he wasn't that good a wrestler for someone who was supposed to be one and uh, God he was really boring in the early days and, and God he never actually developed much outside of like the most basic naked low kick to set up his overhand right but again it worked against a lot of different fighters so like sure. um but yeah i think I'm, I'm gonna have bj in my top 20 still definitely not in the top 15 and could definitely see him slipping out of the top 20 pretty sharpish would you um, have him um just below amanda nunez then or slightly above her the wild thing is, for all the criticisms we've had of BJ Penn and the good things, is that I still have him about uh, 150 places higher than Nunes. <laughs> even if you wow, look Kyle, at the nascent the, game, you're sexist. What the hell? Oh man, even if you look at the nascent game of MMA in the mid to sort of mid 2000s onwards, it look right. Being impartial here, it's still better than women's MMA, isn't it? I don't know, man. I thought this was a no sexism zone, but it's not a no sexism. Right, you do you, it's, you it's Kyle. Objective analysis, my man. Objective analysis. Uh, I'm playing part of you, the MMA MMA media guy that's uh, shocked at your abhorrent behavior. I'm going to tell you now that Joe Stevenson was better than Amanda Nunes. Yes, he was. He was. And he's had pretty good. He he beat Eve uh, Eve Edwards as well. Yeah. Malvin Gillard. Malvin Gillard, he beat him as well, I think. Yep. Um, So pretty, pretty good fighter. Pretty good. Pretty basic, but pretty good. Um, and got his head split open like a uh, like a grapefruit with an axe. So Man. that was pretty cool. Did they even test for like blood diseases back then? I don't know. I mean, they, they definitely weren't testing for roids. Yeah. Also, as well, BJ never looked like a roidy fighter. I know you can't really go on aesthetics ever, but he. I get the feeling he couldn't even be bothered to take roids, <laughs> let alone He's train. Just too like, lazy. He just looked like he was a training dude. with the Marinovich brothers for a while, right? I think they probably yeah. snuck shit into his food. Yeah, maybe it just looked like a it just looked like a dude. Just looked like a dude. Really athletic for his time as well. Like you know, like oh, that yeah. sort of transcends. So the, just just to sort of wrap it up, is there anything that BJ does did in his time that you do think would translate well to today's game? I think in today's game, he would need to be a wrestle boxer essentially. Um, like I think his takedowns and top control would still translate pretty well uh not at the elite level like i don't think he would be able to to wrestle to victory against the top five guys but i think he would be still quite solid there and his boxing if he could work in in matchups with strikers where he could work his wrestling i think he could do a lot of work on the feet with his boxing as well uh but if he is stuck on the feet with a guy like like yeah or a slick striker in the modern game i don't think he would hold up well there 
I do think he would be quite a good grappler, though. That's that's good. And, you know, as as we say, this, the caveat is, of course, that in a modern sense, he would develop his game in accordance with the meta of the day. So, you know... Right. Yeah, you know, I, I want to. I was literally meant in ten, in terms of a time machine because yeah, saying like just transplanting him. Oh well, you know, give him give him obviously all the skills yeah, that everyone else has. Yeah, kicked by everyone, but yeah, yeah featherweight. Yeah. Like Bryce Mitchell is to- a top fifteen featherweight. Uh, to be fair, he shouldn't be, but BJ Penn would beat the shit out of Bryce Mitchell. Well, there you go. Um, we're recording this on the um, the, the night of the uh, Bryce Mitchell Andre Feely fight, and tonight Bryce Mitchell is going to probably do something crazy, like add some really super layered striking game, and we're both going to look like fucking <laughs> idiots. But um, but yeah, he would. He beat the shit out of him. I mean, one thing we never even mentioned is it is even in those days, even with the development of BJJ since it was ridiculous that BJ Penn won gold medal after like yes. three years of first putting on a gi that's not normal though to be fair um i think he like he was basically he was rich and had basically all the time in the world so he would train oh, of course all day. yeah 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 but still of super course. impressive he was going like three or four times a week uh for, sure. for three years and then one adcc so i think if you like adding up the training hours it's not as drastic um as we would think it is but it's still crazy that he progressed so soon was so competitive with elite guys in especially in grappling so soon it's always really bizarre when you call a 19 year old kid the prodigy and then when he's 39 he's lost eight in a row and they still call him <laughs> the prodigy like nathaniel um, woods the prospect that that's going to be interesting in 10 I years think nathaniel woods already like 29 years old yeah he's lost a couple of fights that he's pretty good i'd say he's pretty good um are they going to change say, his nickname like call I him think, a shot veteran they should just call him the, the, the gatekeeper now. That's what he is, isn't he? He's a gatekeeper to see if you're good enough to take the leap to the next stage. Do you know what I mean? Um, they put him, basically, they put him in with the ultimate gatekeeper and Dodson and he got Molly one. So um, he is now yeah, he's officially... like eight years into his career. He's not, not much of a prospect anymore. No. Decent fighter, though. No oh, wrong yeah. with that. Do you think he'd beat BJ Penn? I do think that. Um, BJ Penn could do some stuff with his wrestling. I don't like him on the feet in that matchup at all, though. I think Wood would slam him with leg kicks and that he's a deft enough striker to extend the range so BJ can't get in on his jab consistently and counter the jab when he does. He might just bang him out, though, might he? Yeah. Yeah. So, basically, we're going to say, if BJ Penders runs up someone, smashes him in the face, he would win a fight, and if not, he'd probably lose. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's nice to see that, you know, I am still the only boomer who gives him a slightly more credit but that's probably because I'm just not as good an analyst as, as you are but um I think we'll what we'll say is Ryan first episode let's be fair we'll call that a draw was this like competitive were, were we not really but I've just decided to make it competitive so we should say it's a draw it's not that competitive is it the gentleman's agreement that would draw it's not the scariest battle we've ever had I don't know I feel like if you're springing on me that we were competing this whole time and you're willing to call it a draw I feel like that gives me an edge if you knew about this the whole time and I didn't, I, we're I still even matched. I feel generally we agreed on most most of the points. So, you know, draw really. Actually, it's not a competition. It's more like a team team building kind of thing. It's like a team exercise. Yeah, I always feel like the, the best arguments aren't like, I think this thing and you think this thing. Who can convince each other the best? But like working a dialectic to come to the, the truth. You Which know, the Hegelian, we... Hegelian bullshit. <laughs> 
generally how we talk, I just use, just use some words that I don't understand, um, <laughs> even though I'm supposed to be an intellectual and, and you know, uh, but, you know, generally this is the kind of chat that people can expect from us. So, like, I think if you enjoyed this sort of wide-ranging chat on all things MMA, um, this is an MMA podcast, uh, but we will talk about other topics and, you know, use different points of reference as we go along. We've got this one is to- this one's the one we're putting up on public YouTube. So if you if you're interested, it'll probably get more raunchy when we put the Patreon podcast up. I'm not going to whip Absolutely. out my dick on YouTube. And you know we've picked a pretty broad topic for like the first episode. Like we are going to do some more niche stuff. Like we're planning to do a deep dive. Should we should we tell them? Should we tell yeah, them? Yeah, let's do it. We're going to do a deep dive on all the fights between uh, Pat Curran. Pitbull and uh, Daniel, Daniel Strauss, Weishel, which is, or Daniel Strauss, Daniel, yeah, I forgot. Daniel Strauss, Weishel also did fight Curran, but it was Strauss. Fought a lot of them, um, yeah. Which was, Daniels. yeah, probably at that time the three best featherweights outside the UFC. I always thought it was Hatsu Hiyoki. I was very disappointed. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Still love Hiyoki, but no, those three would have done a lot better. They would um, not have lost to Darren Elkins. Yeah, and they also had fucking consistently brilliant fight so don't know if that's going to be the second episode but definitely one we're looking at now pat curran's retired and strauss i think he might be in prison or, or oh shit really didn't yeah, he I get like he got, really badly injured <clears throat> yeah he got found with like oh I that was Des Green. Like, that's wasn't that the guy that like drove into somebody and killed people or whatever no nah, strauss got found with like um like a, a thousand bucks worth of, of weed in his car i think oh shit Oh, yeah, more or than something. 20 grams of marijuana. Yeah, something oh, wait, like that. 2013. Did it happen again? Oh, no. Yeah, the, the, the marijuana thing was back in, like, 2013. Okay. And then recently he got into a car accident and, like, fucked himself up really bad. Oh, and shit. And now he's not good anymore. He just lost to Derek Campos. Oh, that was a last very year. A very bizarre and enigmatic fighter. But, you know, those fights just uh, are amazing um, and really interesting and lots of different interesting things going on technically and, and tactically. So, like, you know, you never really knew who was going to win. So I think that would be a good one. I also want to do a deep dive on, on Miguel Torres um, soon, and um, which would be cool. And also, like, this is going to be one where we can go into Patreon questions as well. So if you like this and want to listen to it, three bucks. If you want to ask us questions... Look at the tiers, patreon.com slash fight site and go, do you know what? I really want Ryan and Kyle to speak about this for 30 minutes. And, you know, this is going to be a good platform for us to do this. We both want to get this across. Probably not going to be a weekly thing. We both live in disparate time zones. So we're probably looking to do this one month. Yeah, I think that sounds good. It's going to be a deep dive like this, so it's well worth waiting for. And all the other podcasts are weekly, pretty much, apart from your one, Ryan. So, um, <laughs> Ryan, if anyone's listening to us on YouTube and they don't know who we are, where can they find you? What do you do? You know, who the yes. fuck are you, basically? I'm on Twitter at, at Ryan A. Wegg, Ryan A. W. A. G. MMA. Uh, I tweet like half about MMA and half pictures of me with a cat filter so <laughs> if you enjoy that go ahead and follow me you're not a fairy though are you just to get it across <laughs> we're not we're not discriminating against fairies but you're not a fairy are you just a cat a furry you're... no i'm not a furry i thought you said you're fairy an... i was like whoa god no 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 precariously close to homophobia <laughs> depending on your interpretation of one's accent yeah well, um, no I'll, I'll, i will 
re I'll, I'll redo that question. You have to pay the the three bucks and listen to the podcast to find out if I'm a furry. There you go. Fair enough. Um, don't cut it out. Um, I am at Manga Mush, um, M-A-N-G-A, like manga, like Japanese comics. Mush, M-U-S-H, which is a uh, colloquialism for for mate or friend uh, in the south of England, where I'm from. Uh, we both write and podcast and chat shit for the fight site. So check us out at fightsite.com, D-O-T-C-O-M on Twitter. And obviously, as I said before, www.fight-site.com. But really, we really want to direct you towards our Patreon, patreon.com slash fightsite, because the more money we get, the more cool shit we can put out. And uh, if you've listened to... Ryan, if you you recording this, how long is this called? This is an hour and 18 minutes. So if you've listened to this for the past so hour and 18 minutes... everybody started is, is well past the point where they've clicked away. Then Probably I don't off think, watching porn or whatever by now. Yeah, but, but here's the thing, Ryan. The two or three, three people that have stayed on because they're interested, that's our target audience. Well, you heard it. Two or three people that are listening on, go to patreon.com. Site and sign up for more of this. Thanks, guys. <laughs>